The Crux of the Matter, Episode 39, Dualism. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stegmeyer. Good morning, sunshine. Hey, how are you? <laughs> um, I'm a little full. I have... Uh, you know, I have Bible class on Wednesday mornings. We're recording this on Wednesdays, and uh, I did not have my usual light breakfast. So uh, ah. so I had a little bit more than that as normal. So I'm a little bit fuller than usual. But uh, you, you mean you're, you're literally – stomach is fuller. I'm literally more okay. full. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, okay. you know, otherwise I'm fine. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing just great. Uh, well, just just uh, plugging away, right? Yep, yep. So, are you teaching anything interesting this week? Yeah, actually, um, in my doctrine class, uh, Intro to Do- uh, Theology, I'm teaching justification, oh, the doctrine I've heard upon of that. which, yeah, upon which the church stands or falls. So, I did that yesterday, and I'll probably do that some. Um, uh, we're actually off the next couple of days. For for fall break, I'm not. I have got something else going on, but there's no gotcha. class for the next couple of days. Gotcha. So next week I will probably talk about the Reformation, even though it's not a church history class. It's relevant. It's timely. Right, right. It's kind of uh, rolling in. Mm-hmm. We did um, uh, on this morning in my uh, in my overeating Bible breakfast. I. Uh, uh, we discussed the fall. We did Genesis three eight to twenty four or whatever, okay. and um, and you know there were a couple interesting, couple interesting little pieces in that. One of which, uh, one of which, and I'm not looking at my notes on it right now, but but was how you know in in um, in God's speaking to Eve, you know your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Yeah. Um, that is a different word than what you see in Genesis one twenty eight, where for dominion, right? For yeah. dominion, it's not the same right. word, but the definitions are nearly identical, and yeah. so that uh, that's kind of got me curious on what is the uh, what is the difference between the dominion that they together are to have. Over the earth and the uh, and the dominion that Adam now exercises over Eve as a result yeah. of the fall. Right. I don't right. have an answer to that. I only, it's only a question. Well, that would be an interesting word study, right? To see mm-hmm. our history of interpretation, to kind yeah. of see what how that's been taken by Jewish scribes and scholars and and early Christians and yeah. modern theologians. It'd be interesting. Yeah, well, and it kind of gets at um, obviously a lot of stuff, uh, you know, men and women relationships, and, right, right, and of the, course, uh, you know, and the the life of the church, women's ordination. I don't know, yeah. all kinds of yeah. things could uh, could fall into that. So you should um, do that as a research project. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll add that to my list of things that I never get done. So, yeah. uh So that'll be that'll be fun. But that's kind of what I've been uh, thinking on. And our topic for this uh, for this week, which I just sort of randomly tossed out at you, um, it's good every once in a while to just have topics that we haven't really prepared for. Sure. Um, you know, because why not really? Well, because pastors have to think on their feet. Yes, exactly. So so that's all right. Um, 
in Bible class last Sunday, you know, we're we're going through this Hebrews uh, Hebrews class, and in my class on Sunday, we somehow got into this rabbit hole of talking about uh, the difference between a biblical worldview and dualism. Okay, and uh, and and it was a very interesting discussion for me because I think, and I'm willing to be corrected on this, but I think that that Christians very often are functional dualists, even oh, sure. if we don't, um, you know, even if we don't ultimately believe that the way that we act toward each other, the way that we act toward kind of everything is as is as if we are dualists. So what? Um, so what does what what does it mean to be a dualist in your mind? What does what does dualism mean? Just out of well, curiosity, for just to yeah, kind of sure. get some get some thought going here. Yeah, usually it, when I think of dualism, I'm thinking of sort of a Cartesian, uh, you know, Rene Descartes uh, right. look, where there's the material world and then there's the the spiritual world, and the two aren't really very interactive. Um, right. Usually we're talking about a philosophy that might even degrade or downgrade the physical world, like right. Gnosticism or something like that, that sees right. it as inferior inherently. Right. Um, but uh, there's there's different variations on that, but I think yeah. that's a basic definition. Yeah, I, and I would say that in my mind, dualism, uh, dualism means either physical versus spiritual yeah, or it means good versus evil. Okay. Okay. And um, and that sometimes sometimes those are seen as the same thing. Sure. You know that that the uh, physical world is good, spiritual world is evil, or or vice versa. I suppose. Um, but but I would argue that the way that we think as Christians today is as is as dualist, not necessarily in the physical versus spiritual, although that's probably true too. Um, you know, we definitely are, we, d- we definitely fall into the sort of neo-Gnostic trap pretty quickly, pretty easily, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that to be spiritual means, and, and to be not worldly means that we can do it, you know, that this, the physical world is bad. Um, yeah. In, in in this instance, our conversation kind of centered around, can you have good apart from evil? I see. And sure. it, yeah, and and you know, and we and, and it was an interesting discussion because you look up a dictionary definition of good, and it's going to it's going to describe good in comparison to evil. Mm-hmm. You look at evil, and it's going to give you a, a definition in comparison to good. And so the two are the two are their antonyms, their opposites. But uh, can you have good apart from evil? Well, if the answer is no, you've got to. In order to have good, it has to be in comparison to evil. Well, that kind of presents us with a little bit of a dilemma, now, doesn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> you, I mean, you know, I would I would say maybe. Um, that you could have, of course, you can have good without evil. There's God who exists prior to there being a fall, right? Um, and and you know, even prior to there being uh, the fall of Lucifer, whenever that occurs, right? Um, but I would say you couldn't have it the other way around. You can't have evil without good, but I think sure. you can have good without evil. 
Sure. Does that and, make sense? Uh, of course. And I agree with you. Um, but I don't think that that's how we function often no. as Christians, okay. that very often we function. And, you know, a couple, three weeks ago, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, St. Michael and All Angels Day. Um, you know, we we speak in this language of of war, that there is this war between uh, between heaven and earth, between God and Satan, and, you know, and the war's been won by Jesus on the cross, and, you know, so this is just a cleanup battle. Some, you know, we, we use the war language and talk quite often, and as do the scriptures, so it's not like we're just making that up. I mean, that's Mm-mm. revelation right there. But, um, but very often, I think that we function as though God and Satan are on sort of an equal footing. Right. And that because God and Satan are on an equal footing, that means that I can <clears> – <throat> that things can swing either way and that things – you know, and I could turn around and all of a sudden Satan's going to be getting the upper hand uh, because God isn't God. You know, I, I mean it's it, – it presents a dilemma for us because if we function as though Satan um, – as though Satan and God are on equal footing, that kind of changes everything. And, and I don't know. I could be totally wrong on this, Scott. No, I mean it's, it's, it's helpful to use the war image because, it, you know, like you said, it is biblical. And I think it does help frame our faith for, for people um, and what it's like to live in the world if they kind of see this as spiritual warfare. But you're right. I mean, it's warfare in the sense that, um, you know, I'm at war with a gnat that's bothering me. You know, right. is it really is it really much of a war? <laughs> right. Um, because I've got ultimate power over this over this tiniest of creatures, and so the war between God and the devil is, you know, we is I think it's appropriate to describe it as a war, but um, it's not as if God is sort of in any way threatened by that. Right. Right. And so part of a part of where we ended up going with this in Bible class was if I if I think of God and Satan as sort of unequal footing and and we can very easily fall into this trap in a lot of different ways. We can fall into this trap in terms of evangelism and outreach, you know, that the only way in the only way that uh, the world is going to be saved is by my effort, you know, which is sort of a, I don't know, it's a reverse justification or I don't even know how to describe that. But other than that is very, very common in how we mm-hmm. and how we portray evangelism. Um, but also we can portray people as as being the problem, mm-hmm. as being as being evil. And um, and the the example that I used was uh, was Adolf Hitler, and uh, and his minions. And um, have we ever talked about uh, Mission at Nuremberg? That book. Are you familiar with that book? Um, yeah, I am, but yeah. I don't think we've talked about it. Okay. Well, this is a this is a book that uh, that that kind of recounts the story of of one of the chaplains. At the Nuremberg trials, that there were two chaplains, uh, one Lutheran, one Roman Catholic, that were assigned to all the prisoners of war uh, during the Nuremberg trials after World War II, 
and the LCMS and and the Lutheran chaplain was Missouri Synod. He was an LCMS. Yeah. He was an LCMS chaplain. And after these after these trials, and when he gets out of the military and goes on with his life in ministry, he's kind of vilified by a lot of people because he's talking, you know, grace and mercy and forgiveness to these nasty, nasty people. Mm-hmm. That um, by all measurable means could be um, are evil, uh, and 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 so this sort of creates a problem because in the American mindset, you know, these are the bad guys. This is you know this is this is Captain America versus Satan, mm-hmm. and um, and these are the bad guys, but really. That's not the picture. That's not the biblical picture, because these are people whom Christ died for, that uh, that Christ came to redeem. So, what does it mean if I start to portray ISIS, Al Qaeda, you know, whomever the boogeyman of the day is, as this sort of evil that is that is beyond that is an evil that is beyond redemption? And mm, I don't know. I, yeah. I I think that we do that a lot. Well, I think we we do it. You know, not just with the biggies like uh, Al Qaeda or ISIS, but you know, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party right. or the, whoever's right. in office right now. You know, is right. is the is the cause of the destruction of our way of life. And even if that's true, you know, I mean, even if there's some truth in the the rhetoric, um, which there often is, um, you know, both directions. Sure. Uh, you know, we know that ultimately this isn't a war between. You know, this is. You know, ultimately, flesh is not our enemy, and right. um, it's not flesh and blood. But it, these are spiritual powers that are at work in the world. I mean, you know, it, I don't think that we're necessarily being dualistic by saying, you know, using this warfare language and using good and evil language, but it's not as simple as, um, or as, oh, I don't know. You know, I think we simplify it a little bit too much by the way we speak and we have to realize there's a lot more complexity to the, to these things. Um, but you're right. I think that we sometimes talk as if the, the end result is in question. Or we're right. we're in, you know we're wringing our hands a bit a bit too ardently uh, when things are really you know we have to remember the that in heaven God is at peace God is at rest I mean there's no as one of our seminary professors Donald Defner used I used to hear him say a few times there's no panic in heaven Yep that's right that's right Well so, and- so, so the implication is we don't need to be in a panic mode all that often. Right, right. Well, and I've and and I think we've talked about that a couple times in terms of pastoral care. That one sure. of the things that that I need to do as a pastor is is not contribute to the insanity right. and the, and the chaos of whatever is happening. That that I need to be the bringer of peace and and wholeness uh, in in whatever the situation is. And I know that for myself, when I am in conflict and 
I mean, this may come as a surprise to our listeners, but sometimes pastors are in conflict with their parishioners um, or other pastors or other, you know, kind of go down the list. And and I know that for myself that I am often tempted to to couch things in a very sort of strict us versus them, mm. good guys versus bad guys. Um, God versus Satan, and clearly I'm on the God side, um, and and that I can forget that you know, these once again are people whom Christ redeemed, and even if they are being used as an instrument of the devil in whatever the specific case may be, um, that doesn't mean that they are unredeemable, um, or that they are that they are even that they are ultimately the enemy. Because um, mm-hmm. they're not. And and I mean that's very irritating sometimes because I would really like for them to be the enemy. I, I, I act as if they're the enemy. I treat them as the enemy. But they may not be. Um, now at the same time, you got Jesus uh, saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, for you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Uh, so clearly there is a, there is a sense in which – Human beings uh, act as instruments of evil, duh. Um, but somehow, in the middle of that, as a pastor, I I, I think we've got to. If I'm not struggling with that tension, then there's probably something wrong in yeah. my mind. Oh yeah. yeah. So what did your? How did your Bible study conclude? Did you guys come to any major resolutions? Well, I mean, our con- uh, what I tried to what I tried to. Uh, uh, portray is recognizing that God is the God is the the one that is ultimately uh, that He is He is sovereign that He is the that He is the that He is the Lord and that and that we can't we can't finally answer the uh, the existence of evil question. I mean, what we what we have to do is sort of live with the live with the paradox. But another and another part of that was the was the whole. And I don't know if you've done this in your class yet this year or not, or if you will. But the whole is evil a substance thing because mm-hmm. that gets mm-hmm. that gets to the question of is does evil exist yeah. as a as a thing? <laughs> you know, can can you can you touch, taste, smell, hear it? Um, uh, and you know, or do we, or do we fall follow the the more? Um, I don't know. In my mind, uh, Lutherans have always tended much more strongly toward that evil is the absence of God. You know, so mm-hmm. without fear of God, without knowledge of God, without and you know, so that so that evil is an absence. And it's kind of like asking, well, does darkness exist? Well. Not really. Darkness is described as the absence of light. Right. It's not a thing. It's not a. It's not a thing. But we mm-hmm. treat it as one. Mm-hmm. So does evil exist, or is it the absence of God? And how do, and how does that change God, yeah. things? Yeah, the absence of God, and you know, I think we can add to that. It's the corruption of what God has made. Sure. Um, sure. You know, because, you, you know, you can look at like um, rust on a fender and, right. you know, it's, you know, the rust is not, it doesn't exist apart from the fender. The fender's the thing. Right. You know, there's not just sort of out, out there somewhere rust, fenderless rust. 
Right. Um, right. You know, it has to be a corruption of that thing. And, and, you know, I think so often we wrestle with evil in the sense of, you know, not just simply, you know, stark evil, but good things uh, that are just simply d- handled uh, wrongly or right. loved too much or right. in the wrong way. Right. Corrupt. Well, I mean, and that that is kind of the Ten Commandments is protecting these gifts that God has given um, so that they the gifts, the gifts don't um, overshadow the giver of the gift and and don't become their own their own thing as it were so it's i don't know it ha, it 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 really struck me as as we were talking about it on sunday of how how we in our society really don't want to wrestle with the problem of evil we don't want to think about uh we don't really even want to think about the existence of evil far less you know we're in in some respects Tell me if I'm wrong on this. In some respects, our our culture desperately wishes that it was about 1905, and that we we lived in this in this age of positivism and and kind of um, almost post millennial. You know, things are getting better and better, and we're able to communicate, but you know, so much better than ever. But these these pesky things keep coming in, you know, and again, uh, ISIS and, and all of these other corruptions and evils, never mind, uh, you know, never mind the, the things that are in our own day-to-day lives. But, uh, but because our, our culture just doesn't have any, any capacity for wrestling with these questions, we tend not to even think about them. We tend to just sort of ignore them utterly as if they don't even exist. Yeah. And that's kind of problematic. Yeah. Hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have all of that figured out, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and just to, just to round that out then. So, so what we as, as Christian pastors do is sort of, on the one hand, say the emperor has no clothes and, and sort of hold things up as, as true and real as they are and not pretend that they are otherwise. Um, but at the same time, hold up, hold up the reality of, of, of the God who is good, who desires all good things for his children and who will sacrifice himself uh, for our sake. Um, and that is that's true when we talk about our interactions with fellow pastors and friends, as well as it is with our own congregations. So, should we take an offering now? Yeah, I think we've <laughs> that was sort of sermonic. No, that's all right. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, we are at episode thirty-nine of the crux of the matter and you may find the show notes at the crux of the matter.net slash podcast slash 39 uh, if you have any thoughts on uh on the problem of evil and if you have a potential solution for it that we haven't uh that we haven't answered please uh 
email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net or you can find uh, Scott or I on on Facebook or Twitter or all sorts of various and sundry places. Um, also, if you have a if you have opportunity to throw throw a few bucks our way in the tip jar, we'd sure appreciate it. Uh, you can find a, a link to tip jar either on the show notes or on the uh, main web page. And uh, that would be a big help for us along the way. Okay. So um, we are at our joy bringer part. And just to shake things up a little bit, I'll go first. Go uh, for it. My joy bringer for this week is my friend, Pastor Roy Askins. Pastor Askins is a, a missionary who has been assigned to as the director of communications for East and Southeast Asia and, uh, and, and is going to be based in Hong Kong. Pastor Askins is visiting my congregation tonight. And I've had a little bit of time, a little bit of time to, uh, to speak with him yesterday and will again later today. Um, really delightful, uh, a delightful man, delightful pastor. Uh, he has a young family, and in our uh, in our church body, the way that missionaries are funded is, I think it's called something like network funded, which basically means that they that they travel around and they find congregations and agencies and individuals that will that will help them in their. Uh, uh, in their missionary endeavors. And so they have to essentially raise a certain amount of money before they can go out, uh, to their place. So he has not, uh, he has not been deployed to Hong Kong yet, which is where he'll be based. He's in this sort of initial, uh, network gathering stage. And, uh, uh and I've really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better. And, uh, and I think he's going to do a great job there. And so please uh, pray for Pastor Askins and his and his young family. And if you're interested in finding a missionary to support, I think he would be a good choice. So he's a good guy. Yeah. I love that our Senate is sending out so many missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. And one of the things we did at the last convention was was ask the Senate to uh, double the number of career missionaries that we have. Now, right, right. in sort of in sort of typical synodical fashion, we we did this without actually, you know, designating money to do this. Right. Right. So it's very easy to pass resolutions. It's it's a little bit harder to actually fund these things. So what this means is is that congregations um, congregations and individuals have to step up to make these things happen, and, uh, and which is which is great. So I I pray it and we, uh, continues. Yeah, me too. And, and it may mean that we get hit up more than once because you know there's so if we're sending out as many as we are are intending to. Ultimately, I think it's the right move. I think it's a good move for the Senate. So it's kind right. of exciting. I'm not serving a parish anymore, but we did try to uh, support at least a couple of missionaries. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was – we weren't able to give a lot, but we were able to give – you know, we were able to do something. And and I found that my parishioners kind of enjoyed – because we prayed for them every Sunday and stuff like that. And I think they, they enjoyed hearing about them in the newsletters and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, we do the, we do the same. And uh, my congregation generally puts most of our energies toward Africa and uh, and Kenya specifically. Uh, but uh, there's – there's certainly plenty of needs, and in Asia, a lot of times, kind of, uh, kind of is overlooked in that process. So, so what's bringing you joy this week, Scott? Okay, well, um, I'm I'm uh, 
working through some little videos. Um, this is a resource called Is the Bible Reliable? Building the Historical Case. This would be a great resource for pastors. It's actually produced by Focus on the Family, but it's it's a biblical professor who's standing in front of a, a classroom of college students, and it's and he's lecturing, and it sounds dull, but it's actually very very engaging and intriguing. And there's ten half hour long videos uh, going from Abraham up through the uh, Book of Acts, where he's trying where he shows the historical reliability of these texts by looking at everything from archaeology to the textual evidence to hmm. extra biblical resources. Uh, you know, it's, it's good stuff. Um, it's, it's in small enough packages. It's for adults or college level students. You, you might, if you have some very interested high school kids, it might be something you could use some of it for high school kids. Sure. sure. But, um, but uh, it's just a great resource. I've seen other things like it, but um, I, you can, I think you can download the videos from uh, Amazon Prime. I think I saw them there, but I went ahead and got the hard copy. And I've actually used a couple of the videos in my, in my intro to theology class when we were talking about the historical reliability of the Bible and the transmission of the manuscripts, of the new Testament. Sure. And, uh, and he, you know, just to break it up a little bit, I would lecture and then I'd show a little bit of the video clips where he's talking archeology span or whatever. So I recommend it. Um, it's a resource that a pastor could use in various Bible studies and just have on your shelf. Yeah. That's a good one. I like it very much. That's yeah. A- called is the Bible reliable? Okay, and um, and that's and that's available on Amazon, and I'm sure directly mm-hmm. from Focus on the Family and uh, mm-hmm. and other and it's other published places. by it's produced by Tyndale um, and 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 Focus on the Family, so you, I'm sure you can get it off of number of websites. But I got it from Amazon. All right, excellent, excellent. Well, you got anything else for us today, my friend? No, no. I think uh, I think we've covered the the whole needs of the world. The whole needs of the world, the gambit of salvation, which doesn't yeah. sound quite right, but um, yeah, we'll take it. Anyway, so thanks, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next time. All right, bye.